Hello, welcome to the Joel Fleischman Happy Hour Podcast, episode number 79, I believe, correct? Yeah. I'm here today. Oh, cheers, by the way. Cheers. I have given up drinking for Lent, and this will be Gross. Um, a, a Campbell's Sport Cream root beer from the Blue Door uh, coffee shop that we own, Stinson. And oh, Adam's, nice. got a, uh, Adam's drinking the uh, Drexel horse medicine. Private label. Good taste. Central Waters Brewery here in Wisconsin. Um, Adam Beck is our merchant, and in our world, a, a merchant means a buyer for our commodity materials. We've got with us Stinson Dean today. Welcome, Stinson. Yeah, hey guys, thanks thanks for having me. I, I don't have a beer, because like I said earlier before we uh, hopped on, I gotta go work some heavy machinery, but uh, I do have my four-year-old's kitty cup in front of me, so cheers. Congratulations, question mark? Yeah, that's right. At least, not, at least it's not a sippy cup, I guess. Uh, yeah, I took the lid off, so we're, we're so good. The reason we have Stinson Dean on today is the only person I follow on Twitter, which his name is backwards. I can't believe your name is not Dean Stinson, but uh, until this, until about a half an hour ago, I did think your name was Dean Stinson, and he just uh, transposed it on Twitter. So yeah, uh, yeah. Where does the name you, Stinson come from? You, well, you wouldn't be the first to make that mistake. It I'm happens, sure, I'm sure. It happens often enough. If, if I send an email from my laptop and it has my like full signature mm -hmm. on there, it designates Stinson, first name, Dean, last name. It's just very common. And uh, yeah, it's it's a, it, well, it, it's a last name in my family tree from Alabama. And uh, it, they turn it into my first name. And I've been fighting the good fight ever since. Perfect. Perfect. So. Why is Stinson on here today? From my perspective, you don't even know this, Stinson. I believe I was following Mike Clark. There's very few, in my opinion, I haven't seen many. In our industry, there's very few people using Twitter, unfortunately. True. True. Industries, right? I can get tons of intel. We can have lots of relationships, lots of quick contacts, fun stuff, different stuff, get to know each other. In our industry, it seems antiquated, which is no surprise to anybody in our industry. Uh, you're one of the few people I follow that is, is into the lumber market. I believe I started following you based on Mike Clark, maybe something you commented on him, or maybe you were similar, sim, follow someone similar. You literally have 16,000 likes or followers. 16.2. Yeah, yeah a, lumber, a lumber guy. It's it's very bizarre. Um, I'm way more popular than you, and I have 340 followers. Probably because I'm constantly posting about Debbie football players, but yeah. regardless. Yeah, it, you know, the, the key to Twitter is niche. And I was like the only, I've been tweeting about lumber since 2014. And it just so happened in 2021, it became like the canary in the coal mine for everything that was coming our way economically and inflation. So uh, it it just kind of blew up because a lot of journalists are on there. And uh, I was tweeting somewhat intelligent things about lumber and why and what and what might happen next. And before you know it, everyone's a lumber expert. So it was a pretty wild ride. Yeah, I appreciate your follow. You uh, are a fly fisherman, a family man, you uh, Chiefs fan, and you tweet that occasionally, but you also throw some interesting stuff out there with the lumber market. So you're a good follow, people. Go follow Stinson Dean. Uh, yeah. Give us a little, I, uh, give us a little uh, you know, podcast bio since we sure. don't know you. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, like Twitter these days, lumber Twitter specifically. There's a good little community. There's probably a few hundred. Lumber Twitter. That sounds like lumber porn or something really weird. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's like a niche. Yeah. There's Fin Twit, financial Twitter. There's real estate Twitter, uh, politics, and then there's a little corner lumber Twitter. And there, there's like, a, like five people that I probably don't follow or companies. Um, I'm yeah. always looking for lumber Twitters and I can't find them. Well, they they're you know who do you, they're. Who do you, uh, who do you like? You know, uh, two, his, his username is two by four caster. Uh, uh, just Dustin Jalbert is on there. He's a random lease economist. Um, two by four seven, like a play on 24 seven is Ashley Beckholt. Uh, Mike Clark's a great account. Um, there's a lot of equity guys on there that invest in the publicly traded sawmill yeah. producers and then the publicly traded lumber yard. Yeah, I, I lose those guys. Like them guys, I don't. I, I can't well, get them. It's like two steps away from me. Yeah, but they're interest. They're an interesting follow because they're tracking like the bean counters and what what's motivating yeah. them and what they're investing in. And 
what the risk tolerance, blah, blah, blah. It kind of helps inform like a more macro view of lumber, which isn't utilized as much. I, I find lumber traders are very day-to-day -day focused and what's the market doing today? And they act accordingly. They go to bed, they wake up. What's the market doing today? And they do that over and over. Where Twitter has allowed me, uh, I think, to follow kind of more broader powers at play in our marketplace. And you get a feel for what, what are the equity doing and why are they doing it and what is management saying and you can kind of get more 90 day quarterly outlooks which uh kind of take a step back from the market and helps you position yourself versus kind of waking up every day but to, to answer your question, go ahead no no i don't even know what my question was so go ahead and answer it. your question was who the hell are you and why are you here <laughs> that's that we're still on that aren't we yeah, yeah. so i i own deacon lumber company i'm a lumber wholesaler i buy lumber from sawmills um i specialize in putting it on the ground and, and reloads and warehouses and waiting for the market local markets that need a fill-in truck um you know is my, it my out of the missouri area or are you doing this across the country it's a, across the country but my main focus is kind of that sunbelt from the carolinas through arizona okay um, i got lumber in dallas and phoenix and atlanta and washington dc florida and kind of cover that and the, the more populated markets yeah okay. and well and the other thing about it is where i'm positioned i make money i do well when logistics are all gummed up so rails getting uh you know polar vortex is slowing down the rail lines and uh weather is hitting the railroads and the truck direct markets gummed up because there's not enough truckers and rail speeds are down and the sawmills are backlogged and they can't get the they can't get the uh wood out the door well i have you know wood positioned geographically where you could call me and you can get it in a couple days lately that hadn't been a problem it's been pretty boring a lot of uh you know turmoil and logistics and you know everyone's been able to get lumber pretty quickly if you look at the uh lumber or the the rail speeds for the CN, the the miles per day, rail miles per day that people that that rail cars are traveling, it's the fastest in three years. And then the only reason I, I don't know if it's any faster before that is because I don't know how to get the data prior than three years ago. But rail is moving at lightning speed. There's wood everywhere. The mills are shipping. We don't have a trucker shortage. So um, guys like me, it's it's been tougher to find a niche in the market, but. Uh, you know, in short, I'm a I'm a reloader and wholesaler of two by fours and two by six commodity uh, lumber. Right. I'm a huge restaurant analogy guy. So you're the local grocery store when Cisco is out of didn't show up at the door and you're out of green beans. Right. Go down and get the grocery store, buy all the green beans you can from this guy. Get them to our shelf. Get them to our. Kitchen. Yeah. Yeah. And it's. you know, that, that, Yeah. And I think it's a good model. The. The nuance is, like, you know, we're going to buy in real cars and buy bulk and then sell in truckloads. And there's a little bit of a, you know, convenience spread that you're you're making there. But we're we're taking risk and putting lumber on the ground or, or cutting a PO and holding it on our books for 90 days. So there's a there's a substantial amount of time to market and your exposure to market that you got to navigate with futures prices and buying right. So in 90 days it's profitable risky um, as that yeah and there's not a lot of us who do it anymore because it's become more volatile more risky and folks would rather back to back a rolling car or buy it and try to sell it by the end of the day kind of thing and there's a lot of competition it's a very efficient market in that space so i just don't play there i'd rather take a position and hold it for 90 plus days you know, in half of that time, I don't, I don't actually own the lumber. I just have the, I have the PO on, and it takes two weeks to get it loaded yeah. on the bar, and three weeks to get it to Dallas, and and then I can actually sell it. But and, uh, that, and, and for people that don't understand the market, you could actually sell it while the wheels were on the ground, right? I mean, I'm sure you have. Yeah. Yes. And a lot of folks, that's their whole business model. They, they're, they're a roller, and I just am not good at that. The reason I bought it is because I think it's going to be. 15% higher in three months. Right. And um, I'd rather hold, and I, I don't do as much volume as a, as a back-to-back -back guy. Um, but I'll, 
you're a one man show. You work out of your house. You're, uh, you're like a lumber day trader, if like for general terms. Yeah, I'll take that. There's several several of us and trade assistants, but largely, I couldn't tell you guys the first thing about what lumber's used for or how it's made or what the tree looks like. I just know what it costs. Yeah, you're um, like the old. What was that movie where they were doing pork rinds with Eddie Murphy? Oh, uh, trading places. Trading places, or, yeah. Or, yeah. Orange apple, or, yeah, right. Like they didn't know pork rinds. Like it's gonna go up. It's gonna go down. Yeah. Right? Uh, but yeah. you, 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 but you specialize in your market. You know what you're doing. How did you, yeah. again for a 14 year old girls watching this and is like, that's what I want to do when I grow up, mom. How did you get into the market? How did you ever figure this out? Like, because who the hell gets into this thing? Yeah, seriously, it's, it's super niche. Um, I have a degree in journalism, and I built. Oh, that's, that's, your, that's your 16,000 Twitter followers. I have a degree in English, and I'm stuck on 300 followers. What the you got to be you got to be sensationalist to get the clicks. That's how it I works. I, but I'm just literally sensationalist about Debbie football players that no one gives a shit about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, lumber's been so boring. I've been tweeting about everything else um you know the volatility's gone and the whole deal but you know that ability to communicate i don't you know lump journalism certainly isn't a prerequisite but but how i got into it was i started at a company called fc stone which is now goes by stone x their futures commission merchant that uh is a consultant to commodity companies all up and down the supply chain all commodities and i started trading grain wheat and beans for grain elevators in Kansas. And I quickly moved into lumber because the grain markets were very sophisticated, very mature and developed. And I kept hearing these lumber brokers next to me on the trade floor, explaining the most basic stuff to their lumber clients. Like this is how futures work and this is the basis and you should buy it when it's low and sell it when it's high. And I, I was looking at them like, you you have to explain the stuff. Like, like, oh yeah, these folks don't, they're like very, new to hedging and risk management and futures and you know everyone just the the mentality is why would i hedge if it's going to go higher and it's like well yeah well why are you like working for somebody if you know it's going to go higher kind of thing um so i moved to the lumber desk and i started writing a commentary similar to you guys putting out the content and and folks kind of communicating your outlook on the market i wrote a weekly commentary taking what I felt was overly complex and trying to make it very simple and writing about the markets from a futures broker's perspective. Cause I was seeing, I was seeing order flow from the biggest sawmills to all the way down to home builders and everyone in between to see how they were positioning themselves. So I had this great view on the market. So I was able to bring a perspective that latched on and, and gained a little bit of a following. And eventually uh, instead of consulting, I decided, um, folks in lumber are a little too hard headed for a consultant. So I decided this to do it myself. Right. Um, and that's how it so, so similar, to, similar to random links when that was uh, the go to right? the printed random links, those your spin on it, right? And not quite yeah. as deep, not as quite as there was a thing called the random links journal, green and black and white. That was like the Bible. Is that still around? Oh, yeah. It was like the Bible of uh, the trading, right? It would be like a fisherman's yeah. report for fishing. Yeah, that's a great, to... great analogy. The fisherman's report. What are the yeah. flows? You like what, it came out like on a Monday morning. They were eight? last. It's all past ten. Oh, right? well, and it's all just still just one person's perspective. I mean, it really isn't the Bible of whatever. But my dad yeah. read that. I mean, it dropped like at eight or nine in the morning on a Monday. You know, we everybody in the country at one point lived off that thing. I think primarily it was really the, the Bible. But you kind of did a took a spin on that, I assume, right? And in yeah. not the whole. That was every market. That was from two by tens to two by twelves to ac plywood whatever you'll still you know on friday mornings you'll still get a snippet for every one of those markets yeah. and where i think random links has been uh people rely less on that write-up is the market is centralized the people are going and get, getting their own information they're right. talking directly to the mill they're talking directly to the home builder and everyone in between and there's not as many individual mom and pop players anymore so it's just easier to kind of connect if there's five sellers and five buyers in our country across the country who dominate the offer comes from five mills and the bid comes from three lumber yards like that's right. who dictates our market there's these, there's these giant these big giant elephants in the room right yeah we're just, yeah. Playing, we're just playing on the fringes 
and and that's that that's why it, 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 you guys probably are similar if you're able to efficiently navigate the fringes because that's a very inefficient market to just have these huge elephants staring at each other with this big gap if you're able to kind of step in between and position yourself and be the bid when the sellers want to sell and they can kind of sell to you instead of playing their hand to the bigger guys uh you can do really well but what it causes is huge huge volatility as one group decides to throw in the towel and rush up to meet the meet the offer or vice versa the whole market like explodes either direction and it used to not be that way it used to be there was Drexel and there was XYZ Lumberyard and there was XYZ Mill and mom and pop, mom and pop independently owned. So there's hundreds of offers and hundreds of bids. And a guy like me in my position could make hundreds of phone calls to find someone who was sleeping. Like, oh, this mill doesn't know the prices are up. And oh, this lumberyard doesn't know the prices are down, you know? And, for, oh, it say, was, and it was pretty fairly easy. Yes. Right? People and a lot of lumberyards just called when they needed stuff. And, yep. But it was also my dad was very good at it but also back then it was fairly repeatable and seasonal so again it was such a simple market and so many people didn't understand it it was actually an easy poker game to play or a simple vegas game to play lumber was down and jan you know lumber goes that you know my dad would be like lumber goes down in the winter because like literally people don't have the cash and they just drain it out and they panic in the spring so before the spring panic we just we buy so my dad would buy almost maybe this time of year he would wait as long as he could and then he would buy as much as the bank and really my mom would let him. And then he would <laughs> load the barn. And right. it would be really cool for us too. Then we would quote all of our summer stuff based on my dad's goodbye. And it was actually a great marketing thing too. We could go to our local builders when we were small and saying, hey, Albert Fleischman is the king of buying. He bought in February. Look, at where, look where we bought it. Look at random links. We're taking a small profit. We're passing a lot of that on to you. And that was the truth. That's what my dad did. Yep. Fairly simple literally almost worked like clockwork now it goes up for no reason at all and goes down for no reason seemingly no reason at all yeah it, the seasonals have been tough and, and i i i was taught if you bought over the holidays and you had the wherewithal to hold it until yeah, spring right like you, you'd do okay and, no, no, it was like a no-brainer everyone's off during the holidays mills are still making lumber right if you think about it guys in canada they're out snowmobiling they're ice fishing whatever but they're still making fucking lumber, right? So they're making a shit ton of lumber, but everybody across the country is sleeping. What buyer wants to do a million dollar PO on December 23rd? You buy then, sit on it till May when everybody's freaking out and needs to buy shit and you're, it'll work every time. Like it's like going to Vegas and you have like the formula until it doesn't work. Well, here and here, here's what's interesting about that. I I learned to trade from grain, grain traders, corn, wheat, and beans. And what you just described is the same as the harvest cycle. And yeah, yeah. Good way to say it, it. it's, it's, you know, there's, you're either planting or growing or harvesting and, and folks are buying after harvest, blah, blah, blah. And is the harvest big enough to here to meet the bid? Is there leftover from prior crop that can meet the bid? And I'm a little out of practice. It's been nine years, but I took that same philosophy. And what I found is the, the basis which is a, a, a term for the, the differential between the cash price, the random links price, the physical product and the futures, that has a seasonality where it, it fluctuates above and below futures. And that seasonality has stayed pretty tried and true, honestly. Um, you know, the panic and the weird like flat price moves are basically impossible to predict. You can predict, you could, you could predict every lumber move for like five years and be the king but if you miss the lumber move in 2021 you're broke like it just takes one move and you're done and um you know that i think that the good thing of the admirable thing about our industry is everyone knows that lumber is very volatile so there's just a lot of cash reserves a lot of emergency fund a lot of that got chewed into but if you look across the landscape very well, few that, that rebound i was i was out there boldly predicting not on Twitter, but boldly predicting guys are going to start dropping like flies, you know, poorly managed trust companies, guys that are heavy lumber users and don't really yeah. sell the product lines like we do. But it bounced right, I think, before they were totally screwed. Um, yeah. they, they, they had to be within 30, 60 days of being absolutely screwed. Um, yeah. But they, they made it. I, I'm still shocked to some degree uh, that the companies just didn't absolutely go like, yep, my one guy made a $4 million move and we're dead. But it didn't happen. I, it really didn't. 
I, I tweeted out the other day, like there largely hasn't been any, been any mega blowups of anyone in the supply chain. There's been some, but nothing no. that re reverberated. And there's a bunch of AR that wasn't going to get collected. And, and it shows and, everybody's making money. I mean, that's what it shows. You know what I mean? It's good yeah. Time. Hey, I want to break this up just for a second, Stinson. We're having a great talk. We haven't allowed Adam to talk. He's a, he's a huge talker, first of all. So this is extremely rare. It's the quietest I've ever heard him. <laughs> but, uh, Adam, welcome to the conversation. Let's do a little back since we're way into it. But let's go backwards. Who are you? What do you do here? How long have you been doing it? And how do you kind of relate to this conversation? Yeah, so um, pretty Thank much. Thank you, Stinson. Sorry. Yes. We were rolling. Um, Adam Beck uh, from Kewaskum. Joel graduate, my oldest sister. Talk about a third wheel here, right? Like, it's like. Yeah. Like I got the cute girl at the bar and the other guy's just like twirling on his thumbs. Like what yeah. the, what, what's happening here? Shit. Well, Ad, Adam, Adam is by far that has the most important position in your company. So I, um, I, the lumber buyer makes or breaks everything. So well, yeah, the, I, the good news is I don't have to do it alone. So Albert is uh, Joel's dad is him and I talk daily. I just celebrated his 72nd birthday is not actively involved, but is still an advisor. So yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Um, you know, Joel kind of had this uh, thought process of bringing me on through the pandemic, through the volatility, um, came from uh, manufacturing, purchasing, operational uh, background, and, uh, you know, didn't really know what we were getting into at the time, but really been able to, to learn a lot of the industry. And, you know, when you really think about it, it's a small world out there. You know, Mike Clark, Ashley Buckholt, um, Mike Wisniewski from Materials Exchange, and then just working with all the mills. I'm talking to the same people that Albert. Shout out to Mike Wisniewski. I've known that dude a long time. Went to college with his brother. Oh, there you uh, go. What's up, Teddy? Uh, the same people that I'm talking to at the mills, a lot of them talk about conversations they had with Albert 25 years ago. So it's pretty cool. Um, you know, we managed through the pandemic. I think we learned a lot from that. Um, we are a heavy consumer of lumber. Some of those traditional buy practices still come into play, but there's also a lot of new things in the market that we need to adapt and take into consideration as we try to, you know, manage lumber needs for, for pretty much the entire state. And really, I get it 25 years ago, having been a small one or two mom and pop independent operation, right? My dad, I think had a lot of moxie and kind of acted to the mills bigger than he was, but now to actually be still very fringe compared to the mega monsters to have some presence with the mills. Uh, oh, yeah. Kind of like beyond my wildest expectation, right? Like my dad was always like, dude, if, I, if we could just buy Canfors direct, we were going to be somebody, right? So yeah, because we were working with the Smiths and Deans, you know, always growing up, my dad was grabbing a unit here and two units there and uh, shout out to Mike Harchie, you know, working with Harchie of, of the world, buying two or three units. Shit, when we, when we buy a full truck, I was working in the yard. I'd be like, dude, we got a full truck. Where are we going with oh, this shit? Boy. Crazy, yeah. bro. My dad must have lost his mind. And I, I, yeah, I mean, Adam, the, the, the ability to buy direct from the mills and be able to cultivate that, it to me, it, it signals two things. You guys do a lot of volume and you pay your bills on time. And like that, those, that's the two things that are for sure if you're going to deal direct with the mills. And, you know, the, the, the one thing I've learned uh, or realize is the mills don't know anything more than any of the rest of us. They kind of have this like aura about them that they collude and they dictate pricing and blah, blah, blah. But the reality is I was talking to some higher up mill executive types and they're on the golf course in May of 2021 telling me the market had another 20, 30% upside in it. Like that was the top. That was it. And um, it's like, you know, they're, they're humble dudes, but they've all made a very huge bag of cash the past few years. But, you know, we're all in this together and, and the, the mills don't, uh, they don't have some kind of edge on the market that makes them predict the future. No, but yet there's this psychological thing. I picked on that up with you too, right? The journalism side, whatever. One reason we hired Adam Beck, there's still this psychological mental capacity that you have to almost think what the mega market's doing, you know, nationally. Uh, but then also when you're dealing with a mill, like what is this guy actually trying to do? Right. And then for people that are listening to this or watching this and don't understand what we're talking about, because I kind of alluded to it. It's an interesting thing. The mills, God 
God produces a tree every day. They have a hundred year plan. The mill makes lumber every day, right? Every now they day. can close the mill and they can, they can adjust some of it, but they have output. Lumber yards have usage, but they can sit in the sidelines for a while. Mill is the same way. They can sit in science buying for a while, but eventually they got to dump it and sell it. And eventually the users of the product have to buy it, but not every, not always in the same day. Uh, right. So understanding that and then where that plays on the economic level, has the mills actually produced? Because no one actually knows. Has the mills, going into the spring, no one knows. Have the mills produced too much lumber for the quantity that's going to be used in our country? We think we know. We might know. But if we actually knew, right, as they always say, we wouldn't be on this podcast and you would be hiring somebody to run your big equipment, not going yeah. out and running it yourself. But if you figure it out, you might increase your Twitter followers. If I figure it out, I will not even be on Twitter. Here, well, here, here, yeah. I'll be in college. I'll be nowhere. You should, you should uh, predict the winner of the uh, NCAA tournament. And uh, once the winner happens, you delete, like, you predict everyone as the winner, right? right. No, one's, no one, no one's paying attention to your Twitter, right? Right. You, 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 you predict everyone the winner. And then once the winner happens, you go delete all your old tweets and then keep the one winner and then be like, I'm a genius. I, I can predict basketball markets and lumber markets and then that's have, how you uh do your your following i have a guy that i follow i don't know his name and he'll actually do that with the bracket he'll take a screenshot of it and have it all crossed off by hand you know like really shitty and he's like <laughs> this is my perfect bracket and it's all just crossed out with the names right which i think is pretty funny i'm like i, I give him credit for that i'm like yeah there you go um sorry i i just wanted to feel get a feel for what adam's seeing hearing thinking right now in the market because it's we're it's on the same page i was just like we got to get to the point like what are we what are we what are we predicting here where's the global let's get let's get the crystal ball out now adam first <laughs> well, there's, there's definitely you know the the curtailments and all the stuff that's happened it's definitely not a bull market um i always question where the affordability is going to come into play um you know we're for us uniquely talking about strategies we we're growing we're going to grow um we have a new component plant that's going to consume more lumber so um, our needs are forecasted to grow but when we look at the market in general i'd really be curious what you see in the sun belt and some of the higher hot spots for housing but um it's definitely going to be regional based i believe that um and spit it out you said a lot of words you're a classic uh an an analyst you haven't, yeah, said shit. I, you haven't I, said shit yet for the record. We're gonna have to get we're gonna have to get to a, a trading range that works for both sides. These yeah. levels these levels don't work for the mills. We're gonna be at, you know, we're gonna be up 20% um Q2 and tail end of Q2 into in into the fall. You're gonna yeah. you think lumber is gonna be 20% higher. I think we're gonna see they're, they're, we're gonna have to get above the 500 and, trading mark. Where's it trading now for people that have no idea what you're talking about? So you know, we pretty much feel that the low is in for the year uh the mills are kind of holding, was what uh 350 360 a thousand and yeah. right now we're at where ish right, right there. there we're yeah. at we think we're at the low you think right. we're at the low we think second quarter it's gonna be so we've done huge buys right yeah truth be told yes so we've done uh, huge buys, basically almost again like my mom and dad used to almost as deep as we could afford handle store whatever correct okay yeah, because there's this mismatch, Joel, of when it's produced and when it's needed, and it's it's been produced well before it's needed. So if, there, if you can be the bid, and Adam can bid for for a block or do some volume, you can get really steep discounts and do really well if you have the wherewithal, the balance sheet to carry it, and right. the patience and the patience to not bail on your your conviction. And for us, so and for I, us, actually storage, right? Because we're actually taking this isn't rolling; we're actually taking inventory of it. So we actually. Yeah. There's a component of actually like we're going to store this shit, especially right. our back in the day. It wasn't a huge deal, but now it's like we're talking 50 cars, 100 cars like that. just doesn't store itself. No, it, so what do you think, Stinson, what do you think what's going on? Yeah, I, I agree with Adam. I think uh, it's hard to see it go lower because operationally for the mills, uh, they they're already losing money. Every stick of wood that they produce, they're losing money on. It's just a what, matter. What, what is your break even for? We did this a lot during the pandemic trying to predict their break even. What do you think their break even is? I think it's in the mid 400s, uh, which is a little bit lower than most. Um, the reason mine is a little bit lower is because I've just, they've been operating at lower margins or lower prices for longer. Just it's like 
that must mean they're making money a little at lower prices than we think. And number two, log prices reset in January significantly to match lower prices at the end of 2022. Um, so their input costs are cheaper and currency is in their favor. So they're able to operate at a lower price. Um, so I think mid 400s and that kind of fluctuates with log prices, which is a whole, you know, weird government algorithm up there in Canada. Um, well, your business model, you should be buying, right? Yeah, it's just, a, you know, how how much pain we 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 call it. Don't shoot. Let them burn. You're right. Like how much pain are they in? Can they withstand more pain? And then once once they're at max pain, then I'll put my bid in. And that, you know, I could never miss catch, more. Never catch a falling knife is another way we say it. Yeah. And, and you know, but, it's like, but the, but the gonna, is pretty painful. I always say like, it's, be careful. It's, it's a ricochet. And you know, if I get greedy and I'm like, Oh, I'm going to bid at 300, right. you know, 100, 150 below their break even, and it never gets there. Then I have no wood and you got to kind of lay yourself in. So yeah, it's like you're buying with this, expectation that there's not much downside but then the other side of the coin is how much upside is there if there's yeah, not yeah. if there's not that much upside you might as well we yeah. stay a little bit leaner and right. make someone else carry the lumber for you right storage and all the care interest uh insurance um right. and you know I, I my rule of thumb is it takes i mean with the new interest rates and the cost of storage at a reload you guys can factor this yourselves internally how much you're charging yourself for storage um theoretically right but anyway eight bucks a month is like that's my safe number it's going to cost me eight bucks to carry this lumber for 30 days um they used to be four and i think you know reload charges have gone up int the interest on your money over 30 days have gone up blah 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 so just a safe number is eight bucks a month so that's kind of my benchmark is if i'm buying lumber today every month that i don't sell it my break even um has gone up eight bucks, but, 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 but. so you got to be able to forecast, is it going to be a 10% run in 90 days? Well, that's, it's going to, if I buy the lumber at 500 delivered, you know, Dallas or Atlanta, then it's going to cost me eight to 20, 525 is going to be my break even come time for the rally. And if it's going to be a $50 rally, I'm only actually making 25 bucks. So is it really worth taking a big position to make 25 bucks a thousand? So I got a question. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, we, we do percentages on that. We've always considered it. We probably got to bump it to 2%. We've always done 1% holding costs, but it's probably closer. You're right. We probably need to adjust that to 2%. Because uh, I think we were, we're probably a little bit behind the inflation. Yeah, but we also invested in our reloads and we don't rent the space that you probably obviously rent. Well, we could um, rent it to somebody else. I was like, well, we could, yeah. you know, whatever. But keep going. Sorry. Yeah, it's, you know. See, you see, like in, in your market, um, you know, my phone's never rang as much as it has the last two weeks. You know, yeah. you know the, companies, that makes me laugh. the companies that you go ahead, have, the, the wholesalers, they're not moving this stuff. I, I truly don't believe that um, they can turn that inventory. And, you know, people made a lot of money the last few years. When wood was four digits, you couldn't have enough of it and sell it fast enough. Now, when it's bare bones nobody wants it at 300 it's just it's really uh, mind-boggling to say the least but how much of the wholesalers are they willing to cut down their own internal profits you know i find value in the ones that are obviously willing to take ten dollars or fifteen dollars on a truck versus they the, the three-digit profits on on truckloads aren't there yeah it, 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 creators have been spoiled for three years we're going to go back to you got to really grind it out, dial for dollars, one or two, or I should say two to three percent margins on your back to back wholesalers or calling you. And, and the thing about it, the wholesalers position, the transit wholesaler, they don't really want to buy until I got you locked into a cell because they don't want to be holding the hot potato either. Right. So they're just beating you up and like they've all been spoiled. All of us, me included. If you accidentally bought you know, the price you're doubled. I mean, you're making like hundred percent margins on stuff. Um, if, if you held on to it for 45 days, um, and that's like way long gone, we're getting back to low single digit margins. And it's funny. I laugh because when wholesalers start calling you, um, 
you know, they got nothing else to do. People aren't calling them and they're, they're trying to feel their way around the market, see if they can scrum up a $10 back to back. And I find, especially if you have accounts with the mills, like you guys do, you can keep, you can keep a wholesaler honest because you can, they can offer you something and you see the origination price and you can kind of back in, okay, this is what they're marking up. And I always tell, I'll buy from mills, I'll buy from wholesalers. It's just kind of the price is the price. Um, but I'll always tell them, like, I don't mind you call me and I'll buy from you. But if I find that you're making 50 bucks on a, on a markup, uh, it's not like personal to me. I'm not offended. It just means I, I have to, it's worth it to me to put in the time to go find that for $50 cheaper. If you're making 10 bucks, yeah, it's like, yeah, like it's not worth a bunch of time and resources and hiring a new somebody to go save 10 bucks on a load but it is for 50 and that, that typically, you know, keeps them on us. You hope, and everyone in this business always thinks they're getting ripped off anyway. So it's nice to be able to back check and you see. <laughs> well, I kind of look at it as, you know, you know, four cities group, right? Um, big national wholesaler, um, really the unique big. model. Right. And, um, the whole company's calling me from their different branches. I don't need <laughs> to open up 10 different sub accounts. But what we really focus on now, you know, just moving forward is to our goal is hospitality. If I'm going to go to a wholesaler and really need, you know, 85% of our business is mill direct. But the wholesalers that we are going to work with when we need a friend in the market, when we need that wood available due to logistical issues, right? They can't be squeezed in a pot for 50,000 and they got to do more than just be an order taker. I'm going to shift the conversation. That's my job. Uh, way to end this. This part of the conversation is, Pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. Never take advantage of a customer. That's just bottom line, right? Pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. Yep, you're going to make it once, but we're never coming back, right? So good learning right. lesson there. I want to quick talk about this because we got to wrap up. We're already at that time. I think this is good knowledge because it took me a long time to believe this. You mentioned the logging company. Let's walk through it. Stinson, I think you're going to know these answers maybe even better than I do. Let's walk through the life cycle of a tree, okay? And, and the price point, because I think the price is, to me, it's wild what, what, like, like what, what logs actually are worth, right? People think like lumber is really expensive, but let's walk through it, right? So a tree gets planted on the ground, and I just did this. Uh, in Wisconsin, they actually are bringing up migrant workers from Arkansas, and you play $1.20 a planted tree. It's a tree with actually root system with plastic, like a biodegradable root system, and they just take a shovel and shove it in the ground. Uh, a full turnkey, I can buy that right now for $1.20. That's where the whole thing starts. It takes me 30 years uh, as an investor, which we do through the Drexel Wildlife Organization. The ROI on that in 30 years is break even. If there's no wild, you know, all things considered, if, if this tree grows and I have a normal growth, now there's a huge risk. There's no water that year. I'm not irrigating these trees. That's a complete loss. But we're assuming there's gonna be an 80% growth on that, right? Make a bunch of assumptions like we do in business. It takes me 30 years to break even. In 50 years though, I can do like a times three on it, which is why nobody actually does logs. Cause when you plant trees, it is normally for the next generation to reap the benefits. That's why you don't see a lot of tree planters. You see corn guys, right? So then right. I can make times three on that tree on that investment and more and more that that money after 50 years will keep giving back three is probably way too low so when we get a log when you get a log which is usually 24 inches round right about ish i think stinson how much is a log worth like a 16 foot log 24 inches wide literally dollar amount 300 bucks well so i'm only gonna be able to talk in dollars per thousand so well, you got to convert, Ben. We got to talk like English. You guys with these dollars per thousand. I literally got in the industry in 96 with an English degree. I've always hated this industry. Everyone's talking dollars per thousand. I'm buying wood for dollars. I'm like, dude, let's do the real thing. Per what piece. The the cost yeah. in dollar, please. Yeah. And they're like, no, that's not how it works. You got to learn to market. Yeah. I'm like, bullshit. Yeah. Just convert for me, dude. We're like talking Latin. So, well, English, bro? I, the, you're, I'm a little out of my depth on the, on the tree. I kind of, know what the input costs are it depends on the region too let's make a couple of assumptions stinson right i mean okay. i think so if, let's go backwards right what is a finished stud we're selling in the yard for right now a finished stud in the yard uh sell price uh i do not know 
What Jesus Christ. Six bucks? Yeah. I six mean, bucks. Bucks. Six bucks. Yeah. Jesus. Six bucks a piece. Well, okay. I, goes, I don't know what they're selling studs for. The podcast is over. So six bucks. <laughs> you gotta get there and let's keep moving here. Six bucks for a stud. We're selling in the yard. We'll just use that as an assumption, right? Right. So we're making on that a buck, Adam. Yeah. We're making about a buck a stud. Probably generous, but we'll stay at that just because Matt Adam seems to be panicking here. We're now <laughs> at five bucks, and we bought that from Stinson. Stinson, you're not doing a lot of shit. You're sitting at your house clicking on keyboards. So you're making what a quarter on that? Uh, yeah, I'm. You're, I'm making six percent. You're making six percent, so a quarter. That sounds yeah. about right. Right, yeah. so we're at six dollars. Now we're at five seventy-five. No, nice. we're at five. We're at four seventy-five. We're at, we're at yeah. You bought right. it from the mill, right? Right. In the mill, you know the the mill uh, yeah. six. So yeah, the mill. Oh yeah, we had truckers involved, right? So we already had it. We had rail from you. First, we got rail from the mill to you. They're making a percentage. And then from the trucking company here, so we're probably already at four and uh, let's just call it four, four and a quarter after it gets hauled from Canada to Wisconsin. Maybe 450. Yeah. We'll go 450. So we're at 450. And what's the mill making? Oh, 70% of that. Uh, and then and then the rest is input costs. You know, like, well, I say that the mill is charging. Um you got me frazzled because I don't do per piece. This is foreign. It's all per thousand board feet. That's what welcome uh, to the podcast. I'd never not make somebody uncomfortable, I don't think. That's, that's my right. Favorite. Albert is really good at explaining this, Joel. Right. So, yeah, no, he is. I can, and I'm trying to, I thought you guys would be better. I've been more prepared. No, that's no. You, actually, you, really, we're at four and a quarter. The mill's probably buying that. Again, they're taking about 70%. So, we're down to about two bucks. Uh, there's a, I'm trying to look how many two by fours, uh, in a tree, uh, boy, you know, that Stinson, how many two by fours in a tree? No, <laughs> I, like I said, I, I don't I, know. I've been, I've been to the mills. Let's just call it 10, two by four studs in a normal log. Okay. Yeah. You can kind of do that. Right. So 10 studs in a log, we're at less than three bucks, right? We're at literally 30 cents that buyer is going to evolve. We missed out on the logger has to make money, the trucking company from the logger to that. So no one's making shit on this is what my dad always says, right? Yeah. And then if you think about it crazy in our world, what's a popular drink down by you? Cocktail. Oh, man, a uh, Moscow Mule. And how much does that cost? Oh, at a bar? Seven to eight bucks. <laughs> right. Old-fashioned years, maybe six bucks, Adam. Yeah. You drink more than me. About six bucks. You're paying the same, right? No one bitches about Moscow meal prices or uh, or uh, old-fashioned prices, right? Yeah. Like we everybody bitches about lumber pricing. Like, dude, what? who touched all that to get it to six bucks is absolutely crazy, especially when you consider it took 50 years waiting in somebody's forest land yeah. to get to that point. I mean, it's I crazy. Mean, it's a, crazy. A quarter of the cost in Wisconsin at current price levels is going to be freight. Yeah, 25, 25% of the raw product is freight, which is, again, unfathomable considering you're only paying six bucks for a stud. All right. Vehicle. Yeah, and then if, if freight goes up for all the reasons, you know, it's it's a bigger chunk. And then if you live in Atlanta and you're buying lumber from Western Canada, it's a third of the cost. Right. Um, you know, it's... There's, and we just have, there's like seven people that have to make a profit on that one stud. That's right. It's absolutely crazy. I mean, you got to actually cut it, log it. I mean, you got to take the branches off. Like, it's pretty crazy. Not, you got to pull it. Not, now, imagine if you didn't buy directly, uh, direct from the yeah. the mill, right? And you got, you know, double wholesale. I've seen stuff triple wholesale. That's crazy. And uh, having direct supply chain access uh, is, you know, it's great on price and all the things we're talking about here are in this segment. But also it helps with access and and getting wood when you need it the most and all those things. Well, thank you, Stinson. I did not pay for that ad, but to relate back to that for all you builders listening, right? The fact that Drexel buys mill direct is a huge advantage due to the builder why you should be buying from Drexel. We protect you. We cover you. We secure you with good products from good mills. Because if you aren't buying mill direct, you are at the mercy of maybe the weakest mills, which means what? The shittiest lumber. This is not a, this is not steel. 
there are there are different varieties and qualities of lumber. Uh, and again, this was an organic product made by God. It's not perfect. We didn't even get into cull lumber, which mills can cull up to 10% of that lumber out legally and ethically. We want to work with the mills that have very little cull lumber, uh, just so everybody yeah. understands where this all comes yeah. from. To, to clarify what you're saying, legally, you can have a number two stamp, but 10% of it is actually number three quality. And you could put it all in a bundle and ship it out. And it, it meets it meets certification. Yeah, we've had mills come down, um, I think only once, because my dad learned his lesson. And so this lumber is crap, I want credit, which they will do. So they send a mill, they sent the mill rep down. He said, yeah, a lot of this stuff is junk. It's got too much weighing, which means, you know, it's twisted and junk. And it's just junk lumber. He's like, it's not good lumber. But Albert, everything's within spec. It's it's within 10% tolerance. He said, well, you have me to do with it. Oh, you bought it. I'm going to go back to Ontario where I came from. But thank you. You know, French Canadian. <laughs> so anyways, we were at that point. This was really good. It went really, really quick. I love that we might actually have you on again sometime because you did a great job if you're willing. Um, so to wrap this up, you got one big giant billboard. What does it say on it and why? Uh, so my, my young trade assistant, he's in his mid-20s, introduced me to a – Wait a second, you got a trade assistant? Yeah, I can't be doing podcasts all day if I don't have a trade assistant. That's how it works. Yeah, I imagine like a little, again, not 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 like sexist or racist or whatever, uh, but I imagine like a little elf working for you or something. Yeah, he. I mean, he's smaller than I am, but most people are. Uh, but he's not an elf. But he's a, he's a young, you know, he's like learning the trade and he's booking trucks. He's like really nerdy, like a 19-year-old. Yeah, anything you say, Mr. Stinson, really, yeah. Mr. Well, <laughs> but whatever. Yeah. I'm sure he's a very dynamic individual, but that's, my, yeah, he's that's great. great. I'm sure. He's great. So he introduced me to a song by a rapper named YG, and the name of the song is Scared Money Don't Make No Money. And that that is my billboard. You got to have risk on. You can't be scared. Scared money doesn't make any money. You got to put positions on. You got to go big, and uh, you know that's that's kind of how we built Deacon Lumber. So I thought that was a that'd be a fun billboard to have out there. Do you, do you live your life that way? I don't have to anymore, um, but I I did. No, no, not on money wise in life, right? Like I, I always take billboards philosophical. Like that can oh, be very right. philosophical too, right? Yeah, it, like like uh, like honestly, that, yeah. Good food, right? I, I'm not like hiking mount everest or doing like daring uh, physical feats um and i'm pretty uh, reserved and uh, introverted in in crowds honestly i think on it's pretty regulated to money i, I don't think I, I always tell myself it's just money so i don't mind risking it um and uh so no, I, people who know me i'm actually fairly reserved but i will put some major major lumber risk on and uh, let it fly yeah, that's great. And I, and for me, that actually, I always kind of comment on people's billboards. To me, that to me, I think I live, I try to live my life that way. Um, not in a sense where I'm like, you know, again, doing Mount Everest or, uh, you know, being totally boisterous or anything like that. And again, I've lived my life that way. This guy's nickname is Showtime, you know, right? Back in the day. Or still. But but I do think there's a, I, I live that way. Drexel lives that way. Like, you only, like, it's not that big a deal. It's just money or it's just street cred. Like if it's in your heart and you want to do it, do it. Don't wait for, uh, don't wait for permission. Don't wait for a safety net. You got to go. Like we're well, all you know, around this planet a couple of times, you know? That's right. When I was in college about a hundred pounds ago, I played quarterback at the university of Wyoming and I was Josh, Josh Allen. Did, did you take his job? Was that I, I, Josh Allen is living the life I thought I was going to live. I was, I'm like 10 years Same, younger. Everyone, everyone, all, all, all males. Yeah. No, hey, not all of us were quarterbacks at Wyoming, but the uh, you know I that's I, I was, that's a I was, small fraternity. Talk about niche quarterback yeah. for Wyoming. There's a niche. That's right. Okay. And I I was too conservative. I was too by the book. I was like, this is the way the play works, and when the defense does this, you do that. And that was the theory. The reality is things change. Defenses do things we're not supposed to. Your guy falls, down. and I just wasn't able to adapt to that. Um, but now, you know, you can't be scared and you got to deal with it as it comes by and you need to take the shot when it's there. And don't, don't take the check down. And like, it's, it's kind of a, so, so I can tell you, you have used that whatever career you had at Wyoming. Can I like YouTube you at all? Like, are you YouTubeable? Uh, no, I, I mean, it was 2000, 
four, five, and six, and I didn't get much playing time. So, right. well, but I mean, I think I can tell, and I think we've talked about this at podcast before. I can tell you use that fuel of if it's if you call it failure, maybe it was an opportunity. It was definitely you've failure. Used, you've used that failure to propel you into your real life career, right? I can tell. Yeah, it's a big. It's a. It used to be like a big mental issue that I had, kind of not in the back of your head, and drives you maybe even subconsciously yeah. some days. I, I can tell. Yeah, it's it definitely is a chip on the shoulder. No one cares about my college football career now, but it's it's like I had maybe it. Up. No, it's Wyoming. Maybe no one ever did, but anyways. No, come yeah. on. It's <laughs> Josh Allen, he put us on the map. So. so Kevin, so degrees of Kevin Bacon, right? How many phone calls are you away from Josh Allen? Are you like on a? Are you guys have like a group thread? Wyoming TV group thread? <laughs> yeah, we're on a Discord group. Yeah, um, Reddit. I, you know, probably. Four, I bet, like our some coaches and players right. over ten years that kind of yeah, like, yeah. play college football for five years now. So yeah. there's there's a two recruiting classes end to end between us. So maybe and you'd have like a I thought maybe at a yearly like a, you know reunion of Wyoming quarterbacks and you saw them at like <laughs> the yeah yeah no there's a I, I definitely keep 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 up with the guys that were in the quarterback room with me. But after course, that, yeah. all the coaching staff changes, you kind of – there's not much to relate to. Yeah, you lose, the, you lose the luster a little bit besides wearing the hoodie. That's right. That's a good That's a good logo. That's a good hoodie. Like, that's a good thing. Oh, it's awesome. Was Christensen the head coach then? Yes. No. So Christian, these mic drops. Just I know who the – he's just playing the card. Like, he's just going, oh, I know Wyoming head yeah. coach. Christensen came from – he came from University of Missouri. And he replaced Joe Glenn, who was my coach. Okay. Marcus probably has your stats. The no. big the big sky. The big sky. No, I didn't see no. you. You guys are in the big sky, right? No, that that's uh D one double A. This is a Mountain West. So it's like Oh, I thought the big sky was D one. Well, one double A. One double A. Oh shit, right. whatever. Everything out west is just like foreign to me. I don't know. I couldn't stay up that late. Even in college, I couldn't watch all that shit at yeah, 10 o'clock at night. Ridiculous. But, okay, well, thanks for having us. Thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I had fun, guys. Me. Thanks so much. Yeah, let's go get it. Okay. Thanks, Thanks, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Peace. Peace. <laughs> <laughs>